and welcome to another episode of Tea Time with a Teacher. I am your host, JB McConney, and I'm excited to introduce my next guests, Kelsey Bull. And Kelsey has just a wide range of experience from all over the world. I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation. And I just want to share a phrase that she shared to introduce kind of her philosophy and who she is. She says, I believe in the potential of every student who enters into a school. I believe in increasing equity and inclusion. I believe in social justice for all stakeholders. I believe in dismantling systems of oppression. And I've witnessed systems of inequity. And in each school, in each location, in each unique cultural context, I have witnessed educators and students questioning them. I've seen the power of dialogue across diverse communities work as a catalyst for action and for change. I believe in education, I believe in educators, and I believe in my students in every corner of the world. Kelsey's taught in Tennessee. She's taught in a private school in Cairo, Egypt. She's also taught uh, in Taiwan as well. She's also preparing to serve as a high school assistant principal at the American International School of Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. In our conversation, I really hope you uh, appreciate and value her perspective coming from someone who's taught everywhere, and I hope you enjoy. All right. Hey, Kelsey, thank you for coming on the latest episode of Tea Time with the Teacher. How's it going? How are you doing? Great, great. Thank you so much for having me. So you're part of a new season, which is going to focus on international education. So can you kind of just talk us through your background um, in education as well as where you've taught and where you teach now? Yeah, of course. Um, So my first teaching job was in um, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, So I taught there for four years um, in a school called Holston Middle School. And I taught, um, I student taught there for a year and then I taught seventh grade there for three years. Um, And before that, um, I'd like to say my real first job was as a wilderness therapy instructor. Um, And so basically um, it was the opportunity for students who it was either court mandated um, that they either go to juvenile um, or to juvie basically, or to this program. And so often the courts um, would pay for this and it was in North Carolina, Um, or it was for for kids and families. It was kind of a last option um, because they were threatening to harm themselves or harm others. And so I really started as a wilderness therapy instructor. And so I lived out in the woods with one summer with um, high school teenage girls and then one summer with high school teenage boys. Um, And that, I always knew that I wanted to be an educator, but that was a definitely a turning point in my own understanding of what it meant to be um, an educator and teach the the full child. And so wilderness therapy really taught me a lot of different um, techniques to de-escalate students and that kind of thing. And so um, as I moved into working in Knoxville, Tennessee, I loved it, but I also started to see some systemic problems in um, not only in the school that I was in, but also in the district and in the um, education sector at large. And so I kind of started thinking, if I, if I really understand the problems that exist within this school and this district, how can I better understand them so that I can affect some sort of change in this system? And so that's when I really started questioning, okay, what could international education look like? So I studied abroad in in undergrad in Ghana, West Africa, and I had the opportunity to do some student teaching there. And as I started to think, okay, what, how can we reimagine our schools in America? I thought that I really need to go to a culture outside my own 
to understand it. And that's what led me to teach in Cairo, Egypt. And I was there for three years and I taught high school and absolutely loved it. Um, Egypt was really, really challenging um, as, a, as a woman, as a white woman living there. But I learned, I learned so much about myself personally. And then I also learned about private for-profit education. And that was a very different experience than where I am now, which is in Taiwan teaching high school um, at a not-for-profit school. So I think that um, really, really re-examining our education system in America through the lens of international education has been definitely a theme um, in my own career path. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm excited to dive into each of those um, because I think that, you know, not only you have you taught abroad, you've taught in such diverse and different schools. When thinking about Ghana versus Cairo versus Taiwan, what what are some things that make that that education system unique that you 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 know you want to share with people who who have no idea what those education systems look like? So I'd say um, starting with looking at Ghana, when I was there, I was definitely an observer. I wasn't hired as a teacher. I was just there to kind of understand. And so um, there were many different schools, the public public schools, Muslim uh, women's and girls schools. It was a nonprofit. And then there were private schools. And so I would say the, the relationship between the teachers and the student were, were very unique in each of those. That was based on the belief system of the school in that specific area. And then in Egypt, I would say the specific school where I was, like I said, was a for-profit school. And so the way that it was run was very different um, than what I was used to. And so while it was well-resourced in some areas, um, it wasn't well-resourced in others. And by nature, the way that it was organized, the governance structure, it had one owner. And so there wasn't a lot of voice from all stakeholders, from the community, from the teachers, from the students, mm-hmm. from the parents. And so some of the implementations of different initiatives were really very, very much top down. Whereas in the current school I'm in, the governance structure is quite different. So there's a parent board and the parent board has a, has a very large role and a very large voice in the school. And I think that um, that can be a really positive aspect of, of our governance at this school. It also can limit other stakeholders' voices. I think that just in terms of community involvement, I think that the school that I'm currently at tries to have more community involvement, but it's still very limited. And I think that's also the nature of um, of the private school. Did you notice anything about for-profit versus, you know, not for-profit systems that really stood out as, as something that, you know, in the U.S. we probably wouldn't know about or understand? Yeah, I think that both of them, I think both in just comparing to the U.S., I think both function as, as independent schools. And so that there is a lot of freedom in that in choosing which initiatives that they push push forward. But I do think that not-for-profit schools are often better able um, to seek and understand and hear voices from the community, I would say, because the for-profit schools are naturally, by being a for-profit organization, are um, much more financially um, conservative and much more financially focused. So I know that, you know, my parents were, were educated internationally and, and for my mom, who was, who was educated in Korea, it was always, you know, the way that she talked about teachers 
was always very different. Being one of the most respected professions in the country, um, a lot of attention and respect. And of course, as we know, it's it's not the same as in America. So do you notice differences across those three places with regards to, you know, teaching as a profession? Yeah, I think that uh, teaching in Taiwan, it looks very, very different than, than teaching in Egypt and teaching in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would... I would say that there is um, a different kind of reverence for educators just across um, across the country here. But I think that also in thinking about the institutions where I've taught, but like historically they are founded in a lot of ways as like colonizing institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really complex because there's a natural positionality for me as as a white American in the space that I occupy in those schools. Um, where most of my students right now are Taiwanese American, um, and most of them identify as Taiwanese American or Taiwanese Canadian. While um, there is a different respect, I would say, for the profession, um, and that's also compensated um, across the across culture um, mm-hmm. or across institutions here in Taiwan. Um, I think that it can be really complex in the way that there is a there is a hierarchy. Families value Western education, and so that then you're dealing with the positionality in the classroom as well. So so we're constantly trying to um, navigate to break down some of that positionality and hierarchy. And you also see it with how the um, some of the international staff and some of the local staff. Um, even are compensated. So, so I would say it is it is a complex question. Um, I think it it's there are many layers to it. I would say the same in Egypt in terms of just educators being very respected to this this kind of um, reverence of a Western person. So, so when you said that international and and local are compensated differently, I'm assuming that you know if you come from a different country, if you come from America, you get compensated far more. Say far more, yeah. Does it come with positional promotions or or just more support or? It it can it can be both, and I think that's that's something that we're actively trying to address and break down at in the current school where I am, but it is it's very, very complex just because of the the way that the economy is structured, the way that work visas um, work visas are. And I think that that's when we're talking about these systemic issues is like there are structures in place that that create these barriers. So um, yes, I think that that financial financial compensation, there's a huge disparity and then also access to, um, different roles and promotions. I know that you recently or were planning, graduation for for your kids what is for for most of those kids what is the plan usually as far as setting them up for post-graduation is that is that university there is that coming to the united states or or europe what does that look like? our school is an american school so um the idea is that most of our students do want to graduate and go to america the school in egypt was um both a british and an american school mm-hmm. We generally speaking have half and half. Um, This year it actually fluctuates. So um, many of my seniors are going to America and there are, 
I would, I would probably say it's um, at this point, maybe 70, 30, 70 to America and then 30 to the UK, just depending on what some of their interests are. And also their, their family's level of, of comfort Mm -hmm. with, um, with going, with going all the way to America. And also we've, a lot of our families and a lot of our students have um, have talked with us about the fears of discrimination in America. Mm-hmm. The majority of our students are Asian, and they they're as as you're well aware of. There have been a lot of Asian hate crimes in the United States, especially with COVID. And I think that um, I was just in a conversation with students today about um, how that has created anxiety in them. That actually some students are starting to take self-defense courses because, mm-hmm. because they're, yeah, they're, there's a lot of anxiety in the idea of going to America. Wow. I, I, I it makes sense. Unfortunately, I, I, it just hadn't hit me with, you know, I think sometimes I'm so just American centric and, and, you know, living here and existing here and not realizing that someone outside who wants to come here or wants to experience that also mm-hmm. has to, to keep in mind all the other things that I think we, we've kind of gotten so used to in the United States. And I, and I hope, I hope that they do, you know, do whatever makes them feel comfortable, do come here, come to America and, you know, do have those opportunities. Some of our alumni have said, you know, they felt very academically prepared for the university level work. They said that they didn't feel prepared to, to have their identity addressed in certain ways. And so what we've really tried to, or I should say what I've tried to do in my English classroom, and then also what our school is trying to do is give students opportunities to talk about their own identity, to talk about their own personal experiences, and then also to to have space to talk about some of those anticipated fears. Um, Because like you said, it's it's, it's really hard to understand an entire culture and an entire experience when you haven't been there. Like a lot of our students are Taiwanese American by, by passport, but they might have only been in America for a month um, and same with the UK. And so really giving them opportunities to, to talk about their own identity is, has been really, um, yeah, has been really important. When you say like American school, what, what are the differences between because I have to assume that there's there's inequities between, you know, the the American schools and just the local school, I guess, across the three. But maybe speaking more to to where you're at now, how do kids get into the school that you work at? What are the schools around it look like? What's the trajectory for those students? The main draw for our school is the is the English mm-hmm. instruction. So all of our instruction is in English except for the foreign language courses. Um, and students can take Chinese, Japanese, Spanish. And so that's the main pool. So I would say that's the largest difference between the local and um, in our American school. Our local schools are free to, to every student. So um, in our international school, there is a tuition. And so that's... Um, that's a barrier to a lot of students. And then also to attend our school, you have to have a foreign passport. So that's another um, barrier to entry. One thing that I think about a lot is, is for our students, how are we limiting their perspectives by really having a student body that is very similar in their socioeconomic status? Um, how does that limit our students and their, and their perspectives? And I think that 
um, by the nature of our school having a tuition in the local schools, not we, um, our students are very, are very kind of, their, their socioeconomic status is very similar to each other. That would be a main difference. Also, um, when our students come to our school, they take language tests to see where they are in their English ability. A really huge challenge for our students and our parents when they transition into our school is the pedagogy. Because in our local schools, it's very much rote memorization. Um, it's very much test-based. And so um, a, lot of, a lot of our curriculum is very exploratory, project-based, inquiry-based. And so when students come to our school, it's almost like they feel like it's not learning if mm -hmm. they're not being tested on it. There's a huge transition period, and we have to, we have to do a lot, of, a lot of parent education as well to to help parents understand the American philosophy of education. And so that can be, that can be a really, um, really huge challenge for our families and our students, but they're also very open to it. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun transition in that the parents and the students get to learn together, but it is, it's quite different from the local schools. Cause I know in some countries, the, there is quite a, a line drawn between, you know, families, foreign families, families with foreign passports and, and things like that. So you mentioned that there's kind of this homogenous, you know, interaction as far as the community that some of the students are around. Do you find that your students are friends and hang out with everyone across Taiwan? Or is it, you know, they go and they hang out just with each other or just with families that also have foreign passports? I think that the, our students have a very unique experience in that they, they're constantly in between two worlds. Um, they, they come to our school and they're expected to perform in this Western uh, structure and then they leave school and they're expected to perform in, in this, whatever their family asks of them. And, and usually a lot of our families are more traditional. And so um, they're often towing that line of, okay, who am I? What is my identity? How do I, how do I really code switch in each of, these, um, each of these spaces? With that, many of our students come from local schools in middle school. We have a huge influx in sixth grade of students and then again in ninth grade of students. And so many of our students have um, some of their best childhood friends from local schools. So because of that, they are they are very connected with with kids outside of um, outside of our school. So I would say that while they definitely build a community and have this shared experience of of this experience of of code switching, um, they also have the um, have the opportunity and they they do stay very close friends with with other students from other schools. When you think about your experience in the United States with the education system, both as a student, but also, you know, in your student teaching experience, and then your experience abroad, and I know that's kind of general, what is something that you think the U.S. education system could take that does work and could could be successful in the United States? I think that um, I really appreciate um, what you said um, a few moments ago about how you hadn't realized what our students might think of potential of coming to America. That appreciate how you said that you think in such an Americentric way. And and I would say I'm the same. I was the same when I was teaching in um, in the United States that 
the way that I viewed education and the way that I viewed the world was so Amerocentric through my own lens. And I think that what I've seen from the students I've worked with and what I've seen within um, the international education, within my own international education experience, is this lens of understanding of the complexity of, of each of our identities and each of our understandings of different cultures, different geographical locations, and that it's it's just a huge world and that I think it's so easy to generalize what America is or what the UK is or what Taiwan is. And I think that I think we can learn a lot from international education and the open mindedness that it promotes. Um, that we really can't, um, we can't generalize about anybody or, or any country um, that, that there's so, um, that each experience in each place is so different. So many of my students, they really, they have so many friends in so many different countries and mm -hmm. the understanding of, of these different cultures, I think in a way that a lot of my students in America didn't always pursue and, and maybe because they didn't have access to it. Um, but I think that that's something that we can really learn from international education is the importance of seeking to understand other cultures. Let's say hypothetically, because, you know, I love every part of my job, but no, hypothetically, if myself <laughs> or other teachers um, were interested in in teaching abroad and, and didn't really know and were uneasy or scared at getting out of their comfort zone, what What's a draw? What what would be something that that you really really love about you know teaching abroad? You know you would encourage other teachers here in the U.S. to to have that experience. I'll start with a like on a personal level. I think that when you address aspects of your identity as an individual, and then you address aspects of your identity in the classroom. Um, and then you address your own values as an educator in a different cultural context and in a different physically geographical location, you are better able to understand the students who are in your classroom um, and you are better able to meet each student where they are because you are constantly questioning yourself. Mm -hmm. I think about uh, I think about when there's this activity I've done called voice and choice, and it's where you really look at your curriculum and you, you look at whose voices are represented and whose voices are missing in a different space, in a different international location. You have to really push yourself on what voices you represent um, and, and making sure that your students are also represented in that curriculum. And I think that in doing that, you're able to understand these larger systems at play in that cultural context and then also in your own culture. And so I think that as an educator, um, I've, I've really challenged myself. And then also, <laughs> of course, there are so many other layers um, of cultural understanding that you have to mm -hmm. have and language. And um, there's just, yeah, there's so many. And every day is new. I would say that <laughs> when I lived in Ghana, it was the first, and, and for me, and I'll, and I'll tell you, JB, it's, I mean, for me, I still have a, a little bit of shame around this, but I mean, I was 20 when I moved to Ghana and it was the first time that when I stepped out my front door, I had to think people are looking at me like this because I'm, I'm a white woman. People are giving me this price. They're touching me like this because I'm white. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved to Egypt, it was similar in my gender, um, walking out the front door and thinking that that man said that to me because I'm a woman. They looked at me like this because I'm a woman. 
And so I think that as an international educator, um, it pushes you in a different way so that ultimately you can support and understand your students in a different way. So that's, that's been really important to me. In terms of just the opportunities um, to teach students, I mean, <laughs> I just have such incredible, um, incredible students. And I will tell you, my heart and passion and soul is in American public education. That's where, that's where my passion lies and that's where I hope to eventually come back to. But like I said, um, part of this experience as an international educator is to better understand our system and, and ways to improve and change it. And so um, I would say the students that I've met in my different schools in Egypt and now in Taiwan, the way that they see the world and the ideas that they have are just, it's, it's unbelievable. The ideas that they have as international students at the age of 14 and 15, mm -hmm. um, it's like, okay. <laughs> we're going to be all right, you know? Um, so I think that that reinvigoration of, um, of really believing in what our students can do. That's so powerful. I, I think that your mindset of experiencing all these things outside of the U.S., learning all these new mindsets and, and just making yourself overall a more holistic and, and better teacher. And then when you do bring those back to the American system, whenever that may be, that that perspective is so needed. And, and I think oftentimes our system seems so fixed and it doesn't seem like it's growing and learning from other countries who frankly do a lot of really great things that no one knows about because we don't have this kind of like exchange of, oh, they're doing that and that's working. Let's try that. And, and, and I think that your perspective is going to, you know, ultimately, you know, when you lead a school or, or, or in a leadership position, you'll be able to, to bring that perspective. I, you talked about, you know, all the, how these kids, you know, wow you with, with some of their worldly perspectives and all that stuff. I, I just wanted to end off with you. You've taught a lot of students in a lot of different countries. Um, I know it's hard to choose, but there, is there one student experience or student journey or student relationship that, that really sticks out that, that, that you can share with us? I think one that stands out to me that's like uniquely international is, so I've had the opportunity to be um, one of the MUN directors of so the Model United Nations. And one of my students, he, he excelled in, in MUN. And what he did is he actually then took it outside of the school and decided to use his talents as a singer and a songwriter and he started collaborating with students from all different countries through Model United Nations. And he actually wrote a song um, that was focused on basically against, um, against different forms of slavery across the world. And it then it became so big that it was then featured at uh, one of the largest Model United Nations conferences. And now he's actually working with um, with students, some of the same ones that he collaborated with on the song, but now he's expanded it out to even more countries um, to collaborate on um, on music to have dialogue about some of some of the human rights issues that are going on. And so, I would say that 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 student um, he just he take he's taken his talents, he's taken his passion, and he's taken his international mindedness to the next level. And he's actually going to be studying next year um, at UC Berkeley in a program where um, he will actually start studying in France um, in an international relations program. He's one of those students that 
whatever conversation we're having in the classroom, whatever conversation we're having as a whole school, he's just ready to talk to anybody about it and take it, um, take it to the next step. So I would say he's, he's definitely an inspiration to me and he's an inspiration to a lot of his classmates. Hopefully we can get him on the real United Nations one day. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that's all I had. Um, thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited for, for people to hear your perspective. And, and I, and I do hope that, you know, while you do stay abroad, that, that eventually I know that we were connected through a mutual friend, I guess now graduated from the same graduate school program that, that I'm in. So I, I do hope that that eventually we can connect in the United States and, and you're able to to bring that. I'm, I'm really excited to see where you end up. And, well, and you're ready. I was going to say, when you're ready, the next stop, I'll be um, serving as the high school assistant principal in at the American International School of Jeddah. So Okay. Saudi Arabia. Yep. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> so, so exciting. In the Red Sea. <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you so much for, for being on. Let's, let's keep in touch. I, I, I definitely am curious to hear when you do move to, to hear what that, what that's like. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been great. Thank you everyone for listening to that episode of Tea Time with the Teacher with Kelsey. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did talking with her. I'm going to leave a link to her website where she posts some great stuff in the podcast bio. Make sure to check that out if you have time. She's got a lot of great stuff and a great perspective, as well as if you want to contact her, communicate with her, and just hear more about her. Anyway, thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much, Kelsey. And be sure to check out the podcast, Instagram, but also Kelsey's own website, which again will be in the bio. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.